Hey, it's Monday night on The Fan pregame. Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590. The Fan ahead of Monday night hockey tonight. we got Sens versus Ovi, followed by a big tilt between the Oilers and the Kings. Merrick Mondays are back. We'll go through the NHL with him in tonight's games in about five minutes. Toronto Raptors go for a pizza party. Mm. Three straight wins. And maybe the play-in. Michael Grains will jump on to discuss the state of the Raptors after consecutive victories over mid-level opponents. And ahead of a rematch tonight with Pascal Siakam and the Pacers. Both those mid-level opponents were two standings and one standing ahead of them. And do we consider the Raptors mid-level? We consider them mid, but just for context. They could just jump them right over and be in the play-in. If they Lots played, on the line. If they played Atlanta four straight times, maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay spring training continued today with first win of the spring. We're here. We're back, folks. 8-4 uh, over the Pirates. Kikuchi and Bassett were the first rotation members to appear today. You got Manoa tomorrow, Barrios and Gosman later this week. Uh, we'll do a little touch on some uh, Blue Jays-esque discussion with some free agents that did sign, some still pending, and they're all Boris clients. And we'll have best bets and other shenanigans, including uh, the debate over court storming and in honor of the Clippers' rebrand. We'll discuss other teams that desperately need to follow suit. Yeah, if you have an answer for that, uh, 59590 text line is always open, and we'll get to that a little later in the show. we got a 60-minute pregame today. Um, let's talk about the Oilers to lead our show today. They're later on on Sportsnet 1930 against the Kings, which is an important game because Kings have pulled into a tie with the Oilers in the Pacific. Um, both teams have had like electric stretches of hockey. Obviously, we know the Oilers, they fueled us for a couple of weeks with their uh, lengthy, lengthy winning streak. The mm-hmm. Kings came out hot. Uh, but since the Oilers' 16-game win streak, things have really fallen off um, and they are searching, good thing the trade deadline's next week, but they're searching for something. Yeah, it might be just a goaltender, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, yeah, it's a four, four five, and one record since a 16 game win streak. So, on the whole, I mean, we're talking about 25 and one run. And again, it's all arbitrary, right? When you pick when, you know, a skid has started or a streak has started. But if you look at the last 10 games, it doesn't say or doesn't paint the best pitcher. However, I mean, over that span, I think the calculus is pretty simple here. Third fewest shot attempts against league wide, number two in possession, number two in scoring chance rate. Last in goaltending. That this seems is, like the weakest link. This is a return to what the Oilers were with Jay Woodcroft mm. to start the year where they couldn't buy a save. All of a sudden, they can't get that save. And, and I do think these things are cyclical, especially with the Oilers, who can run hot at the best of times. But doesn't it tell you, you know, what are we, 10 days from the deadline, that you probably should just go out and fix the problem if you can. Mm. When you've got this team, when you've got those two players leading the line, when you're sort of mortgaging the future a little bit in in a way to compete this year. Don't the Oilers just have to say, hey, we can't leave it up to chance. We can't go into the playoffs and risk Stuart Skinner not being able to save a puck for 10 days and just go out and get that goaltender. If there's one out there, the Oilers, in my opinion, should be moving heaven and earth in order to get it. Well, part of that 16-game win streak was the fact that they allowed no more than two goals in all of the 14 games on the end of that winning streak. They've since... They've yet to do that since, right? So, yeah, goaltending has been a major issue. I think they're playing better defensively as well. They were rolling. They were winning close games. Since then, they really haven't been able to do that. They're not getting very good uh, PK at all. Uh, 12 goals allowed on their uh, in their last 10 games. I wonder if that 16-game win streak, I don't know, gave false hope, false optimism, uh, a little bit of a... I don't know, blinders in terms of goaltending. We knew goaltending was a struggle with this team. Obviously, Jack Campbell's still in the AHL. Did Stuart Skinner ride this high that has now, you know, fallen off a cliff? Like, did, did, 
did they believe too early or is it always something that can be done by next week? Like, I don't think they've lost. Obviously, there's no goaltenders that have been moved yet. But I wonder if that 16-game win streak blinded them a bit to make any any moves before now where everyone else might be looking for the same moves. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. They're, they're in competition with other teams. But timing is everything, right? Like, let's say this 16-game right win streak led straight up to the deadline. And they had one or you two stinkers know. right before. You're like, no, why would we have any need to look for a goaltender? So maybe there is a silver lining that mm. it's hit a wall like a, with a month to spare where you can really see, hey, the last month the goaltending has been awful if it does extend all the way till March 8th, March 8th, and then you can do something about it. There are certain situations where, hey, your hands are tied, especially if a goaltender runs a streak right up to March 8th. So I still think they can do something about it. But again, you mentioned, hey, the 16-game run. Let's say there were two losses just sprinkled in there mm-hmm. and they had a couple, you know, seven-game win streaks or whatever it was, and two of those wins were replaced with two of the recent losses. Well, then we'd be looking at it and being like, oh, they've played great hockey since mm-hmm. the coaching change. Like, there is no real issue. It's just these things happen in these stretches where you can you can say that they're the best team in the league, and then we can knock them down a peg or a couple pegs and say, well, they can't win a Stanley Cup like this. I also think it was inevitable that there would be, like, a collapse after winning 16 straight. It was, it was like all we could talk about. It was all the momentum in the NHL. It was stunning to come from the bottom of the NHL and go on this streak that was one game away from from beating uh, their franchise record. So I think a natural breath was was seen and was kind of understood at that point. I mean, McDavid scoreless in nine games. He still got 21 points in the last nine games, right? He is just assist machine. So most things are working, and you just kind of laid out what the number one thing that isn't working is. And, and I will say, uh, McDavid, you said 21 and nine, so still obviously scoring at a high rate. The numbers weren't actually like that during that 16-game run. Maybe they were pretty prolific because, mm-hmm. you know, McDavid just does prolific things on the regular. Yeah. But it wasn't like... Depth. Yeah, it wasn't mm-hmm. like Connor McDavid was just, you know, putting five points in mm-hmm. uh, the bank every single night. It wasn't really like that. They were winning close games. Now they're losing shootouts. <laughs> they just got to find what was working again and maybe go out and get that goaltender. All right, Oilers and Kings 9.30 tonight, uh, second part of Monday Night Hockey. That's on Sportsnet 1. Let's bring in... Merrick Mondays, Jeff Merrick. Uh, how's it going, Jeff? Good to have you back. We missed you last week. Yeah, I know. Uh, hello once again. How is Montreal, Ailish? Uh, très bien. Wee uh, wee. Oui, oui. uh, I would love to go back. Uh, bon appétit. Uh, yes, it's very nice. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, very cool. How are you doing today, Justin? Everything good? I'm doing pretty good. No exciting things on the weekend, though. I will say, pretty Merrick, good. that was the first time I've really experienced Montreal hockey in Montreal. Like, I've gone for my oh, own yeah? tournaments. I've gone for my own games. But I was never really a fan in a Montreal arena. Like, I just kind of embraced. And they are. They are. They, they live up to the expectation. That uh, that barn was rocking. They The fans are engaged in every single moment of the play. Not just stoppages. Not just goals. They're chanting. They're poking at the ref. They're, they had a live DJ smoke machines. I love it. I love it. I would go back to any Montreal games. PWHL Montreal, of course, was playing um, Ottawa. But, yeah, it was a really, really great experience. So it, it sounds very much like they've sort of circled April 21st, maybe to try mm-hmm. to break the uh, PWHL Toronto record. I'd of, like to be uh, there. 19,000. <laughs> yeah, so that could be a special one. You know, there's there's no venue marked for that one on the PWHL mm. calendar. And I said, like, um, I mentioned in my notes on the on the blog on Sunday, like they're they're in discussions with mm-hmm. this one, like this they're they're trying to put this one together. Uh, I wonder if it's just a formality, like they have to wait for the Habs to be officially eliminated. 
so they can release the date. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that would make some sense for me. But to me, but I I would suspect that the that PWHL Toronto Montreal game on the 21st of April probably at the Bell Center. So yeah, that could be a real rocking one. I would move heaven and earth to go to that one. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't look like the Canadians will be you know playing much later than their final game of April 16th yeah. against the Red Wings on the regular season. Yeah. So anyway, we'll put the pieces yeah, together yeah. mentally, and I might book a train ticket regardless. Yeah, I don't think it will require heaven nor earth. Yeah, just be a Just a train. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we were just talking uh, about the Oilers before you brought you on. Yep. Uh, definitely crumbling since uh, their lengthy and exciting win streak. And I mean, we just laid out all the stats, and it's it seems too simple really to just put it on goaltending, but it kind of feels like that could be the main and maybe easy-ish fix if it's just a one-position player swap Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's a little bit deeper than that. Like, first of all, like every team has issues. Every team has holes. You know, in a salary cap universe, no one's got the the perfect team, and every every team has you know usually at least one bad contract to deal with. But you know, I think that. Um, and yeah, I heard you guys talking about the streak, and you know, there were plenty of games during that streak. And Elliot and I even asked uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid about it when we interviewed them at All Star. Like, how many of those games did you kind of at the end of the game go, "Okay, we just kind of surfed on our skill in that one. We probably shouldn't have won it, but we'll take the two points and and we'll run." Like that's going to happen when you have a, a streak like that. But there very much is a feeling within the organization that the game against Vegas really sort of let them know where their issues were and they've got a few like there's like they have a need for one more right side defenseman uh they have the need for at least one maybe two forwards and this is where like this is where elliot and i both depart like elliot believes that they're fine with Stuart skinner and i kind of look at the goaltending and i say you know i I look at it this way are the are the shots and the chances easier in the playoffs or harder in the playoffs? And the answer is harder. And we've seen what happens when the Edmonton Oilers give up a lot of high-danger chances. Uh, That was the story at the beginning of the season when we were all wondering if the Oilers would make the playoffs at all. Um, So I I still think that they they do need a goaltender. And I think it's like a – it's a significant upgrade. Like it's a a UC Soros-type upgrade here. So I, I think they've got a couple of spots to fill. Um, Elliot reported about Adam Henrique and, and Sam Carrick. Um, and those, you know, those two players we would suspect would, would fit in quite well with Edmondson. Uh, I just think that, uh, I think it's a, it's a number of moves that Ken Holland has to make here if he's going to come close to plugging all the holes. And when you look at the Edmonton Oilers, I know on cap friendly, it says like $2.3 million worth of cap space come trade deadline. And that's true right now. But the problem is the Oilers are running really thin. Uh, they're only carrying 6D. That's going to change. They're just trying to accrue cap space. So it's probably, all things being equal right now, closer to $1 million unless they can somehow move Jack Campbell. And to me, that is a major point of interest for the Edmonton Oilers. If there's a team out there that can bite on at least part of that contract, allowing the Oilers to free up some cap space, I think then they're in more business and they can really sort of plug all the holes that they have. Okay, so they're going to have to get creative uh, regardless. But the yeah. impetus, you mentioned Ken Holland, and I'm glad you did. Uh, is that just, is it as simple as that in terms of the impetus? Like, this is Ken Holland's last chance to put his mark. At least we believe 
because uh, yeah. Jeff Jackson is, is taken over and it looks like we're heading in a different direction here, at least with who's running the Oilers. Is there a last stand here for Ken Holland? Like, are they going to be ultra aggressive? Even, the, the UC Soros thing is great because it might solve your issue long term, but we're talking short term. Do you think they do everything that they can, heaven and earth style, uh, to make this <laughs> yeah. team as best as it can be before Ken Holland likely, you know, moves on? Just like Ailish trying to get to that PWHL yeah. game April 21st Same in stakes. Montreal. <laughs> like, I, I think that, like, listen, I think there are some things that are sacred within the Oilers organization that they don't want to move as far as, you know, future players and, and prospects. Um, but I, I think they're open to moving picks. I think they're open to moving prospects. Um, I, I think that they'll do, you know, whatever they can. Like, they they can't squander uh, another year of Dreisaitl and McDavid. And let's, let's face it, like, you know, Leon Dreisaitl, you know, come July 1st, can sign an extension. And if he doesn't, then all of a sudden we have a number of other questions uh, about the Edmonton Oilers. So I, I think this is, you know, even though I think the West is the more competitive conference this year than the East with more competitive teams, with more teams that have legitimate shots at, at winning the Stanley Cup. So it's tougher for the Oilers, but I still think that they're very much in, in go for it mode. Okay, we won't move too far um, across the country. Let's talk about the Jets uh, because sure. Gary Bettman headed to Winnipeg, I believe, tomorrow um, or yeah, yeah, on Tuesday to meet with, I guess, the league, the team, the ticket. Like, what, what is the sponsors. purpose? Okay, so Spons- the purpose sponsors, of yeah, the, or- the organization, corporate sponsors as well. This is, you know, like this, this is, you know, th- th- this is a reminder, I, I think, of, a, of, um, of of what scares a lot of teams, and that is. If you even consider going through a rebuild and, you know, the Winnipeg Jets sort of walked to the edge and looked over in the summer and said, yeah, we don't want that. And that's one of the main reasons why, you know, Connor Hellebuck was retained and Mark Shifley was retained because, you know, the thought of going through any type of rebuild in a market that is as sensitive and at times fragile as Winnipeg, like that could be disastrous for this organization. Like this is a team that needs to remain competitive if they're going to remain financially healthy. And I think this trip by Gary Bettman, first of all, it comes at a bad time because like Winnipeg is legit good. Like Winnipeg, like Winnipeg's really, you kind of want to let winning be the story, not, you know, ticket sales and, and corporate support. But listen, you know, Gary Bettman's number one job, as I'm always reminded, is franchise value, franchise value, and whatever, whatever can raise the franchise of one raises the franchise of all of them, the franchise worth that is. So no surprise that he's going there. Like we heard this, you know, towards the end of last year with some public musings about, you know, if we don't see, you know, more robust ticket sales, we might have to make some uncomfortable decisions. And, you know, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that it was a threat to the marketplace, but some people sort of took it like that. Like we've been through this in Winnipeg already. Don't threaten us with your team, uh, you know, taking the team away again. Um, so I think more than anything else, this is, this is a reminder that, that teams that, you know, there are some teams in the NHL that have the luxury of being able to, you know, do a self-proclaimed rebuild, healthy financial teams like the Montreal Canadiens, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Chicago Blackhawks. But it's tough for a team to Winnipeg to say, like, yeah, we're going to rebuild this thing because they thought about it and did all the market analysis and what it would look like financially, and they didn't like it. And that's why Hellebuck's back, and that's why Shifley's back. Uh, for on Gary Bettman's part, Gary Bettman, excuse me, part. I, I'm sure it's not demonstrative in any ways, but like, 
all the people in Canada, all the reporters in Canada, all the fans in Canada talking about how much of a disaster Arizona is. And he's like, oh, we got a problem in Winnipeg. And I'm going to make sure everyone knows uh, that I'm going there to talk about it uh, with uh, the important people. I, I, Not that that's a big part of it, but I'm sure uh, it's part of the story, at least for those tracking uh, the trajectories of those two franchises. Okay, it started Chris Chelios' night. Go ahead, Merrick. Yep. Uh, I was going to say just one, one quick point. Too. I, I know, like, Gary Batman's a pinata for a lot of people in Canada. I understand that and, you know, always has been going back to, to 1993. Um, I kind of look at this as well. Like, let's not forget, like, Winnipeg did Batman a, a real big solid. Mm-hmm. When they, like, when, when, they, when they threw the keys on the table with the Atlanta Thrashers, like, they were there and they were ready. Um, a few weeks before that, they were ready to take the Arizona Coyotes back, and they went about things the way the NHL likes it, and that is very, very quietly. So the last thing that they want is that type of movement around the NHL, and I think this is, like, honestly, more than anything else, Gary Bettman protecting a market because he doesn't want that team to leave again and take another either potential expansion or relocation market off the map. Well, good, because I hope he, you know, protects Winnipeg the same way he's tried to protect Arizona. I mean, ideally, uh, that's the way it would work. Um, Okay, so Chris Chelios' night, it starts, uh, it ends Patrick Kane night in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ultimately, (laughs) we got to, you know, I feel like it's time to talk about the future of Patrick Kane because, you know, he looks like a Red Wing, let's be honest. It looks right, despite it never looking like it could be anything but... Chicago for so long. I know, he looked good in that arena. He looked good in that arena again, but he just mm-hmm. looks good, and I think that's the important thing. I, I yeah. don't know if people were writing off Patrick Kane, but it looks like Patrick Kane again, which means, well, anything. So what do you think the future is for number 88? Oh, that's interesting. So I think we all came away from that game last night saying, well, hang on a second here. Did Chicago maybe make a mistake uh, in turning the page on Patrick Kane, and what would he look like next to Conor Bedard or maybe Macklin Celebrini if the the draft lottery goes the Chicago Blackhawks way, as draft lotteries tend to do. Um, I I think that, you know, ultimately Patrick Kane wants to remain on a competitive team and wants to still compete for the playoffs and compete for the Stanley Cup and the Blackhawks. Let's face it, there's still at least two, at least two, maybe three more years until, like, that's a legitimate, consistent NHL team and not one that's selling green bananas, right? Like, this is, like, they're still in the green banana business, not the yellow banana business yet. So it's still a few years away. Now, when that is done, could I see Patrick Kane go back for one last sort of Patrick Marlowe-esque hurrah uh, with the team that he had the most success of his of his career? Yeah, absolutely. But as much as, you know, I got carried away with it, like everybody else got carried away with, hey, maybe... Next year in the offseason, Chicago opens the bank and brings back Patrick Kane, and the fans love it. And I, I, I don't know that that happens. Uh, I think it's probably closer to him just, you know, staying in Detroit for a few years as they're looking like a legitimate playoff, uh, playoff team here. Okay, so the other big story, last one for you, Merrick, uh, at least in the okay. last week, has been Matt Rempe uh, <laughs> of the New York Rangers, who is fighting everyone, all comers. Yes. Uh, and it seems like, and I think this is the key thing, Everyone who's fighting him kind of wants to fight him, and that's generally yeah. not how it goes with the toughest guys. Like, there's a bit of a respect. I mean, Ryan Reeves, I don't think, has fought since, what, the first week of the season uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So people are game to fight Matt Rempe, which I think is a little scary because this guy's probably set a record for the amount of punches he's taken in the face through the first five yeah. games of an NHL career. What do you make of this new heavyweight coming in and everyone be like, yeah, let's dance? You know, the NHL used to be like this. Gather around, children, and let, let, uh, let, let Grandpa Jeffy tell you a story. Like, once upon a time, like, this was, 
this was how it was done. Like, new young gunslinger joins the NHL. Like, Ty Domi's a great example. And the first thing he wants to do is fight everybody, right? Like, I'm taking on all comers, Bashir and Probert and, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tony Twist and Kelly Chase, like, everybody. He's trying to run through the, the entire league, Sandy McCarthy, like, all that Jim McKenzie, like, all the heavyweights, right? And we haven't seen this. Like, we haven't seen anyone do this since then. Um, now, listen, to your point, he ate a lot of punches from Matthew Olivier last yeah. night. Like, he ate a lot. And these two teams are playing again, I think it's tomorrow, or maybe it's Wednesday, uh, the Rangers and the Blue Jackets again. So you wonder if there's a rematch. Then Hockey Night in Canada, Saturday night, it's against the Toronto Maple Leafs, mm-hmm. and there's Ryan Reed. Mm-hmm. Like, at a, at a certain point, someone with the Rangers should probably say, it's impressive. You've gone through Matt Martin and you fought Nick Delorier and uh, Matthew Olivier. And maybe by the time we get to Saturday, it's we fought Matthew Olivier twice. And here's Ryan Reeves. Like, knowing what we know now in 2024, you can't keep doing this. Like, inside of seven days, he's already established a reputation. Like, that's done. Like, he's gone through all of them and he's accepted every challenge. Like, when. When Nick Delorier comes up to you in the, in the warm-up skate and, and at center ice and says, uh, what do you think, kid? And you say, yeah, like, okay, you're game to fight one of the toughest players in the NHL and then do it the next night uh, against Matthew Olivier. Like, the reputation has already kind of been cemented here. At a certain point, someone with the Rangers, maybe it's Peter Laviolette himself, mm-hmm. just needs to say, you know what? We know you can do this. We don't need you to do this every night. But... For old-school hockey fans, this harkens back to a different generation where all the gunslingers did this. Like, you came up and, you know, you're Bob Probert and you're fighting Craig Cox and Marty McSorley and every other heavyweight in the NHL. We just haven't seen this for, like, 30, 40 years. Yeah, either Laviolette stops him or they can't get his helmet on because there's so many welts on it. Like, he's been punched a lot in the head, a lot. And his his head must be really really sore uh, at this point. His, his, his grandchildren are going to have migraines <laughs> at this rate. Yeah. Okay, let's leave it at that. Uh, Jeff Merrick, Merrick Monday, always fun catching up, and we will do it again in a week. We shall. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show. Honestly worried about that kid. Like, that's, all, I, like, that's a lot of punches to the head in a short Just think about how much more we've learned about concussions yeah. and yeah. CTE and... And these are immensely entertaining moments that oh, he's provided. 100%. But, but this is a trajectory that's that cannot for keep like up. A couple years of a career, you know, like a year or two. That's that's a lot of fights in one week. Is all I'm saying. You can spread yeah. them out. I am not against fighting in hockey when you know the risks, and that's what he does. And I think they're entertaining, of course. But that's a lot for this kid to take on in a week. You know, let him also like let's see what he looks like as a hockey player too. And, and most of the heavy, yeah, most of the heavyweights are better like defensively than they are at like actually inflicting damage. Like he is just openly tr- exchanging oh, yeah. punches with guys. It's a, it's a very he's Might like have a to full, the defense. He's a full hero already. You know, yeah. I don't I want him to have a lengthy career. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fair. We agree on that. Uh, that will be a big one on Saturday night, though. Uh, Rangers in town. They are red hot. Leafs, of course. That'll be a big one. Um, we have a minute or two here. Quickly, quickly talk about Cody Bellinger, who agreed to a agreement with the Cubs, a three-year, eighty million dollar deal. A lot of free agents, free agents still out there. The Boris clients, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman. The price has definitely changed, or the mm-hmm. discussions have changed. If Matt, if Matt Chapman's still out there, and the deals are starting to look like a Cody Bellinger deal, I think I'd be interested if I was the Blue Jays. 
Yeah, I, I think if we go back in time, and it's always dangerous going back in time to mm-hmm. the Shohei Otani uh, time and timeline that we uh, went through. But let's say at the end of that, the disappointment, someone came to you and said, hey, we're going to sign Matt Chapman and Cody Bellinger to dueling three-year $80 million contracts. Does that sound I'm done. Sound like a yeah. silver lining? Does that sound I like a good second place sort of yep. outcome to the offseason? I'm not really sure because I was kind of leading Matt Chapman out of town, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. But between those two, at decent prices, doesn't mortgage your future. Like, if you just waited around for the Boris clients, maybe that was the smartest way to conduct yourself this offseason. And if you were a Boris client, how are you feeling now? Watching these projected numbers, which was uh, Cody Bellinger was projected back in December at 12 years for $264 million, You know, a three-year $80 million deal. I'm asking, where's the rest of my money? Uh, it'll be interesting how the Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, and Matt Chapman deals do, or if they do come, uh, we'll have all that. Michael Grange is going to join us after the break. Raptors in Indiana play, you know who, Pascal Siakam. We'll tee that up next on the Fan Pregame. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the fan pregame Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan uh, we were just discussing off air and we'll open it up to the text line. We're also going to post on our social media feeds something called the CBQ, the commercial break question of the day. We're just throwing it out there. You know what we're talking about? Commercial break, quick vid, engage, (laughs) get a discussion with us on the text line. The question was, and it was Justin's idea today. So if you don't like it, blame him. Uh, The Clippers did a Mm rebrand, New Jersey's new logo you don't really like the, the logo. The jerseys are good. The jerseys are crisp, but the logo is, it's strange. It's a bit nautical. Part, part of this is my <laughs> ignorance because I didn't realize the Clippers were like, a, it was, boat. you know, boat, San Diego Harbor, all that stuff. But like nothing about you was nautical before. And now you got a big boat in your logo. Let's and I'm get like, nautical. I'm not, I'm not really into it. The jerseys are really good. I can't say the same really about anything though mm. for the New Orleans Pelicans. They're my pick That's for a pick, total eh? rebuild. Nothing about their aesthetic works for me. Nothing. Like, not a single color they picked works for me at any level. Nothing. Logo, fonts, nothing. All right. You should take it up with Grange. What's yours? Uh, Quickly. Mine are the Anaheim Ducks. They are just, uh, it's a horrible look. It's a horrible watch. On ice product and jerseys themselves. And Um, they used to have it. They had it before. Pacers are sharp. I like the Pacers look. That's not bad. Yeah. All right. Someone that's going to see it. Uh, Michael Grange, of course, for us here at Sportsnet Grange. How's it going? Doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Um, we're just talking about the Clippers rebrand. Did you know the Clippers were related to boats and such? I did. Yep. I did. I'm old enough to uh, understand. You were on and one of those than boats? Us. Yankee Clipper, you know. Were you like, on yeah. one of those boats? I've never, I don't think I've ever been. Like the Clippers, as <laughs> far as I understand, they're like those tall ships. Yeah. They have sails. So that's, I think they screwed that one up a little bit. Um, I guess what I'm amazed by and uh, is how much sort of conversation has been devoted to the Clippers rebrand. Mm. Uh, I think it speaks to a whole bunch of different things. One of them being, you know, to the credit of Steve Ballmer and, and uh, you know, they've really turned around, you know, a franchise that was, you know, a laughing stock for 40 years. <laughs> but uh, also it's fascinating to me how much, 
people get interested or excited about this. Like it should, like it used to be kind of a press release and now it's like, it's amazing how much people seem to care about this stuff. It's it's like a bar in Toronto that only lasts five years, right? And then they have to do a full rebrand. They have to do they have to look make it look different, so just to spice and things up a bit, get people more interested in their product, even if the product stays the same. And I guess that's not the worst thing for the Clippers, who were doing pretty well in the Western Conference this year, far better than the Raptors are doing in the Eastern Conference. But the Raptors are starting to turn things around. Two wins against, I called it mid level, maybe a little less than mid level uh, of late. Now they're just three and a half games back. They're bad. bad? Okay, bad. Okay, so if they're. And Brooklyn are bad. So then we can't really take anything from those (laughs) games, can we, Grinch? Well, they're they're on paper better teams than the Raptors. So that's encouraging. Um, I I think it's, you know, it's, it's good to see. You know, the Raptors at full strength, and they're clearly a deeper team. Um, I think Kelly Olenek is showing in a very short uh, period of time an ability to kind of facilitate a second unit, especially playing alongside Scotty Barnes. I think he's been great for Grady Dick, who's been, to his credit, has been was good before Kelly Olenek showed up. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're looking at a roster now that can roll out 10, 10 legitimate NBA players, and that always helps. Uh, I think the fact that they're playing with a good deal of energy uh, post-All-Star break for Darko Ryakovich is a good thing because there was a lot of nights when they didn't have that beforehand. So I think that's something you're looking for is is this team um, kind of still buying what the coach is selling. Um, But I would caution um, about reading too much into any kind of results post-All-Star as we get into March and February for teams, a team that's, you know, probably going to miss the play-in, right? And and I think that's been kind of a mistake that the Raptors have made at times the last couple of years where, you know, they've had some really strong finishes and kind of thought that that was more representative of the fact that they needed to finish strong to have any kind of, to save a season in in any shape or form. So, um you know, I think you got to look at the whole 82 and, 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 and granted, like you can't mail it in the rest of the way. I think it is important to see some good signs as we go down the stretch here. But, um, you know, there's, there shouldn't be a parade. At yeah. No, I mean, we'd be grasping for straws and we got to grasp. We're in a position where we kind of have to grasp, but I will grasp a little bit more. There was an extended all-star break, which gives, I guess, the coaching staff some time to learn about the new pieces, sort of go back to the lab and, hey, what can we do with the Linux and what can we do uh, with these new formations that we might see? Is there anything tangible to take from, hey, they came back and did this and it may have worked? Yeah, I mean, I think defensively they were they were pretty good both those games and for stretches of both of those games they're going to get a real test tonight, obviously against Indiana, who's mostly healthy and uh, obviously is one of the most potent potent offenses. Well, but on paper, the most potent offense of all time in the NBA. Um, you know, so I think I think that was really slipping um, in the past, prior all prior to the all-star break, but there were a lot of good reasons for that. I mean, you had such turnover in your roster. You had a couple of crazy road trips in, you know, on both ends of January and uh, some major, two major, major trades in there. So, um, you know, I remember talking to one assistant coach and, you know, Kelly Olenek was like asking, you know, they were asking him to play a certain coverage and Kelly Olenek was was like, what's that mean? (laughs) You know, so it's pretty hard to have uh, to nail down your coverages when, you know, your 11 year veteran doesn't know know, because he only got here yesterday what you're trying to do. Um, So I think that's encouraging. 
And, you, you know, I think, I think this, the Emmanuel Kickley is starting point guard. Um, I, I won't say it's an experiment, but it's a learning experience for him. And, uh, you know, I think he's clearly come out after the break and been determined to sort of assert himself first and let some of the playmaking duties kind of, uh, you know, kind of come a little more organically. I think that's important. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that big picture, um, it's a team that is developing and and they've shown signs, you know, having had a couple of practices coming out of the break uh, to have made some progress from what was, uh, you know, they were in a pretty rough shape going into the break. We know famously a few seasons back the – the play-in for what was a phrase that we used to mention. We used to debate around, like, the, I guess, the purpose of playing in for what. And and now we're kind of back in that boat. Uh, oh, another boat reference. Not a Clippers boat, but another boat. Uh, three and a half games back as of tonight with, like, an 11% chance per basketball reference. I wonder for you, because you're around the team, you're hearing the dialogue, what, what the approach is this time? Is there a strategy? Is there just let's win games, let's learn, let's continue to, to get our youth going? Are they talking about balancing that draft strategy that we obviously know about the picks and all the conundrum that can happen with that? What is the dialogue and, I guess, the direction for the rest of the stretch when you are kind of within reach of a play-in technically? Oh, I think they're going for it. Um, you know, there's been no uh, strategy or discussion. And in fact, we pushed it, pushed back against any suggestion that, you know, they should quote tank and, and try and hold on to their pick, uh, this year. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, you know, the, the, the teams behind them are so bad. They, they can't really move that far back in the standings and thus improve their percentages in the draft lottery, right? Like, you know, they might, you know, if they get finished in the, and, and even if they finish in, you know, fifth with the fifth worst record is the sixth worst worst record, and thus on paper would keep their pick. Um, they still have to go through the, the ping pong ball process, mm-hmm. and so you know they could do go to all that trouble and still end up moving back in the draft and losing their pick. And similarly, they could end up, you know, uh, finishing in the play in and still be in the draft lottery and and kind of have a you know luck of the ping pong balls and end up keeping their pick. So there's just a not, not enough percentage trying to engineer any kind of slide down the standings. And, you know, I think it's a team that would benefit from, you know, and a coaching staff that would benefit from really having something to play for. Like, you, I think what you don't want is this season kind of completely disintegrating and players just completely, you know, letting go of the rope and, or just kind of pursuing their own agendas in terms of statistics or anything like that. And I think, you know, you look at that game against Atlanta, they had 37 assists in a game that was close, that was on paper a meaningful game. I mean, Atlanta's got the last uh, the last play-in spot. So, you know, it was kind of a meaningful game, you would think, for Atlanta. Toronto was playing on the second night of a back-to-back. And to have, you know, that kind of uh, ball movement – that, you know, 37 assists, that's just not a point guard, you know, moving it. Like, that's everybody committed to making the next pass. And, you know, we've seen it a number of times this year. I think it's been something that has been quite encouraging if you're trying to identify something that Darko Rakovic has brought to the table. But, um, you know, so so I think more games like that, more games in that style um, only helps habits being built, helps the credibility of the coaching staff, and helps managing kind of, kind of sort through and go, who is willing to buy in here? Who is willing to mm-hmm. kind of commit to a certain style of play? And, um, 
you know, so I think I think for all those reasons, you know, they, they're gonna they're gonna go if 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 they can catch Atlanta, they're gonna try and do it, and uh, we'll see if they can. It does give them something to shoot for. Uh, you mentioned uh, Quickly's mindset a, a moment ago, talking about being more aggressive, and, and we've seen a bit of a different IQ since the All Star break. I, I wonder because this is a He's been thrust into a more focal role here. He's It's a completely different role from New York, Toronto. He's been asked or he's being asked to be a different player. He's being asked to be, well, a very important player and one of the more important players on the Raptors. How case-by-case case is, hey, the elevation from bench role, uh, you know, spare part, and that's, you know, saying it maybe a little bit too bluntly, but a bench player too, hey, this is you now. Like, is this case-by-case case or in your findings – like, does this take a while? Should we be waiting a little bit more patiently when expecting the most or the best from IQ? Um, it's a really hard jump to make. And and I think the way IQ is trying to do it is the hardest, right? It's one thing to go from starter to, sorry, from, you know, a, a bench player or a second unit guy to a starter. If you maintain your role, right? So if you're you know, take Gary Trent, like he's only going to play basketball one way and, and he's, you know, and he's pretty good at it. Right. So, you know, whether he's coming off the bench, whether he's starting, you know, what Gary Trent's going to do on the basketball court. But I think with, in Quickly's case, he was nominally a point guard uh, with the Knicks and, but really was a shooting guard, like his primary, you know, there were stretches in those four years where he wasn't when, especially when Jalen Brunson got hurt, he was the point guard. But even then that was a team that ran so much through Jalen, uh, or sorry, uh, you know, he wasn't like the, the, the prototypical guy who was running everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so here he is in Toronto all of a sudden. And yeah, you're, you're now starting, you're on a worse team. So it's, it's harder, right? Like there's just more pressure on you because there's less talent around you. And then you're also the brains of 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 the team on the floor. In theory, you're you're the guy who's got to kind of manage the clock. You're the guy who's got to recognize where the mismatch is. Maybe dial up a play call. Maybe call an audible out of a play call. You're the guy who has to make sure that um, everyone's happy. Everyone's getting the shots they need. But the most important element of all of that is your gravity as as a point guard who can shoot. And so it's a lot of small decisions and a lot of feel that I think can only be gained through experience. And, you know, we'll see if I would say observing IQ in this role, like he's clearly got the tools for it. I mean, I would certainly say he's as good a shooting uh, a guard as there is in the league, like in, in terms of actually guards who shoot. Um, but the real magic of the position is using all your skills, using all your gravity to kind of uh, create, make life easier for everybody else. And that's um, some some players seem to do it inherently, you know, like I don't think anyone does it naturally, but some big players just are able have a greater aptitude to do that. Um, I, I'm not going to pass judgment on, on quickly at this stage as, as to whether he's, he's, he can gravitate into that role or graduate into that role but it's it's probably the hardest thing to do in the league, and I think uh, you know we'll know a lot more about him maybe by the end of the season, and maybe even next season as to exactly what his strengths are as a so-called starting point guard. 
Uh, last one for you, Grange. Uh, Raptors in Indiana, Indiana to play the Pacers tonight, of course. Pascal Siakam. Uh, it was a lovely, lovely tribute about a week and a half ago, Valentine's Day, actually, uh, when he got his first return home to Toronto. I wonder for you, in everything that you saw that night with the jerseys, with the celebration, how that just encompasses what Pascal means to the city, means to this organization, and how that's never going to change. Yeah, it, it was great. I think the Raptors did a great job. I think Pascal did a great job. Like he could have easily kind of uh, harbored some, you know, some uh, ill feelings maybe as to how things exactly were un- ha- handled on his way out the door over a long period of time. I don't, you know, I don't think it had to go down the way it did. Um, and it would have been easy for a different player, different character to sort of dwell on that. But I thought he he made a really mature, smart, conscious decision to kind of, in, you know, focus on the good times, right? And there were plenty of them. And uh, and as a result, uh, you know, that became a very, very special night. And I think it's also, you know, kind of a, I'm not saying it was a tactical move, but I think it was a wise move because, as you point out, like this guy is part of the franchise's fabric. And he's, you know, in many, many ways, right? In terms of A, what he accomplished on the floor, B, what he stood for in terms of where he started, how he finished, and see, I think, you know, his commitment around the community and, and his recognition of what I think Toronto was in a in a, in a, a larger sense than just a basketball sense. So, um, you know, it was a really cool night. And I think I'm what I'm curious about tonight, maybe this is where you're going with it too, is now that that's all out of the way, mm. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, there's a big game for Indiana. They all are as they're trying to kind of stay in that top six in the East. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's another gear that uh, Pascal, as well as he played for the Pacers, there's another gear he he wants to get to. I'm sure he thinks he can get to playing in that lineup. And, uh, you know, uh, why not? Why not uh, drop the ball in Toronto tonight? Yeah, it's not it's not fun and games anymore. I'm sure he's going to want to cook the Raptors. We don't tribute videos. Yeah, no, no, no more <laughs> of that. Just highlights. Yeah, oh, probably. Uh, we appreciate your time tonight, Grange. Great to catch up, and we'll talk to you down the road. All good. So yeah, uh, Michael Grange, Raptors uh, for Sportsnet, of course, big boat guy, talking about yeah, he bailed us out there. Sales and bail out the bail water. Us out. Was, I try. I thought you'd. I didn't think. I I'd got have to it. Explain it. I got it. I know there's a moment's it. hesitation. I just had to breathe for a minute. Um, what we do for a living. The reprieve, I guess, maybe for the Raptors. Pacers played last night. Uh, beat the Mavericks one thirty three one eleven. So second half of back to back. This is a run and gun offense. Obviously, two straight games on their home court. Maybe it's you know it's not a traveling back to back by any means. Um, but the Pacers are going to score on you. But maybe if something falls off on the second night of a back to back. It might be that defense, uh, and we're going to do best bets in a bit. I'm expecting a high-scoring game. We'll just say that. Yeah, uh, I think Pascal. I, I I don't I don't even remember the February 14th game, but it was an emotional endeavor. It was uh, return to home. The jerseys yeah, the all whole, in the yeah, section. the whole section free jerseys. Tonight is like no, 43 no. everywhere. Now it's time to prove that you messed up. Like that, I should that I. I've moved on to bigger and better things. Or even if he plays with a little revenge angle, you know I love a revenge angle. Uh, I, I would not be surprised to see him cook. Well, if, if emotion slowed him down, the Pacers still won the game 127-125 on, yeah. on that Valentine's they, Day. They, they did all right. They did all right. Um, do you want to do a couple best bets? Sure. Okay, because uh, we got a bunch going on here. Um, but mine is, yeah, mine is Ovechkin to score. I don't know. Why are you tiptoeing into that? Because he's been red hot lately. And I don't know. I think we're still kind of up in the air about 
watching this gold chase, but if you could profit on it, how about that? Uh, one, plus 145 tonight. The good thing is they're playing the Sens, and the Sens are so bad at hockey. Um, and Ovi scored one goal, or scored in, he has scored at home in the last four games. He likes mm-hmm. to be at home, home cooking, Ovi in his spot against a bad Sens team, plus 145. I got to give that to you. Um, and one that I didn't Tough tell. on the Senators riding a two-game win streak okay, in chill. three of four. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're really good, Points actually. Points straight. This might be their year, Justin. Uh, <laughs> one that I'll give you a free one that I didn't tell our producer, so it's not up there. Sorry about that. Uh, Logan Stankoven is making his debut. Mm-hmm. In the NHL tonight. Okay. For the Dallas Stars, plus 400. There's your pick. There's your bet. That's, you know he's playing with, or is that just a gut feel? Playing it's on just a, a gut feel. Playing on a scoring line? A kid making his debut. We know the guy well. I just think if it's going to happen tonight, why not profit on it? They're playing the Islanders. It'd be a big game. Okay, I'm going to the Raptors game uh, for my best bet. I like the Raptors parlay. Raptors plus six. Plus the over 246 and a half. I do think if the Raptors are going to cover, they're going to have to score because that's what Indiana does. So the Raptors, I feel like the plus six is a question of whether or not the Raptors can keep up Mm -hmm. offensively. And if they can, they cover and it flies over the total. At least I think, I don't think you're slowing down Indiana by any stretch of the imagination. And if we're going aggressive, you go Stankoven, I go Stankoven, Stankoven. Yeah. I feel like I put a little extra on that. That's anyway, his name, Tyrese Halliburton, 30-plus points, plus 375. It was not a good shooting night for mm. Tyrese Halliburton last night. He gets a chance to uh, amend for that or make amends for that. I think if he goes off, he can get hot from outside the arc. This Raptors team is not the best defensively. Uh, if it's a big, high-scoring game, Halliburton gets hot like he did at the All-Star, uh, All-Star game. Uh, Halliburton can clear 30 points, plus 375. Uh, I think you can add in a Pascal to be the top point scorer. I kind of like that one tonight. Uh, I think he's like it's around plus three hundred. But if he's going to cook, it's just really between him and Tyrese Halliburton uh, to go one and one. But if you're a Tyrese Halliburton guy tonight, I would go a Pascal Siakam guy tonight. Okay. All right. Oh, so some Let's free put a side bonus bet bets. Um, I, I do you think um, Connor McDavid gets a goal tonight? He's well, he on. promised not to shoot. He's in so. a slump. Yeah, so what do no, you think of that? Does. So, uh, you know, he's tongue-in-cheek. They're obviously not in a great spot right now. Uh, they've been through worse, though, technically. Um, but when asked about being scoreless in nine but raking up assists, he goes, I'm just not going to shoot anymore. I mean, it's good that he's got a little personality in him. He'll probably score like three and, tonight. And, and again, I don't really know the tone. I just read it. Um, yeah, but- that was the tone. Connor, when when they've only won four of their last ten, and people are starting to talk about the goaltending being bad and the team maybe not being as good as we once thought, he gets a little crusty. Mm. And I think he was probably a little crusty uh, when asked that question because him and Drysaddle can be a little crusty. Can we do storm chasing yes. or court chasing? Storm chasing. What I mean, is it's kind of like a storm chase. Uh, uh, what was that? What that storming the court? Yeah, court chasing. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so over the weekend, Wake Forest <laughs> stuns Duke. This is the most college basketball story ever, by the way. Because it involves Duke and a, oh, yeah. maybe a top 10 NBA draft prospect, maybe around the fringe. But Duke loses to Wake Forest on Wake Forest floor. Any upset in college basketball, generally you got fans storming the court. Mm-hmm. They celebrate. It's a big college basketball thing. It's great most of the time. But this time there was a collision while the uh, court was being stormed involving uh, Duke star Kyle Filipowski. Filipowski... Gets banged up a little bit, but he's going to be fine. It's not that big of a deal. But a lot of people are doing the, hey, are we going to do something about this now? Mm. And I guess the easy answer would be like, oh, it's Duke, so you're finally talking about it. But I think, and I think I'm the only human who actually thinks this. 
I think Filipowski initiated the contact. Maybe I've seen too many reviews for NHL. You've been Department watching Law and Order Safety. Toronto. I have been la- watching Laura Toronto, uh, Law show. and Order Toronto. But I think Filipowski stuck out a knee. I think the knee on knee goes to him. I think he was probably like trying to pivot out of the way of these pivot. kids running. Pivot. That's a pivot. I think he stuck a know. knee out. My thing is, I don't know him. how you're ever going to fix this. What, are you going to have security guard? Are we going to have a bench, like, boards around a hockey rink? Which would be terrible. But think about they any, want these think things about to any other sport. Hockey, boards, glass, impossible to get on the ice. Football, you got to jump down and run around. Like, that's Could not... Happen. Happen it happens. Soccer, it happens. Baseball, it happens. But there's nothing keeping you from ro- walking onto the, the court at any basketball event. So what are they going to do? I, I actually don't know if, what they can do. And it's not like... Because, yeah, if it's an upset, it's not like you can be like, oh, 20-point dog, but there's a chance to win. Let's bring in extra security. No, these schools are not going to pay for that security. And the schools don't want to pay for that security because guess what people are going to do at Wake Forest in order to sell kids on going to Wake Forest? They're going to show you the time they beat Duke (laughs) and how fun it was when you can take down a blue blood like Duke and actually have that celebratory moment. They want these moments, so they're not going to take them away. I got like there's got to be some way they can make it a little, a little safer there somehow. There is no way. Like there was like no resistance whatsoever. Other but than I don't having know, I don't know what a rope do. up, which they're just going to go under, or bodyguards that can't. How many people stormed? Yeah, a, a thousand, thousand probably. Yeah. Wait, how many security guards are going to be able to hold back a thousand drunk college kids? You can't kids? do it. You can't do it. I mean, in soccer games. They'll have, like, a decent amount of security, but if people decided to go, but they're the going. But the thing about soccer games, who's the field so big? So there's less impact right away, but that is a small court with a thousand bodies out there. It's dangerous. I, I think Filipowski stuck out a knee. As somebody that stormed a field and a court, keep it up. You stormed a court? Oh, yeah. Where'd you storm a court? Dartmouth. So who'd you beat? you remember? I don't even remember. Dartmouth We were just there anybody. for the fun. who Dartmouth beat? Well, it was probably, like, Harvard didn't matter anything. You can't storm a court after beating Harvard. I will find the video Actually, I've seen Harvard in the tournament. I've not seen Dartmouth. We just were having fun. We're college kids. A couple (laughs) Keystone lights in us. All right. That's it for us on a Monday night. Everybody have a great, great evening. We'll be back tomorrow.